welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Talent Lee, he, him, and I, Foxley, she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon movies from the start to there pretty much now. Today you're joining us well into Disney's 3D Princess Renaissance era. We're watching Moana. From 2016. And now, Fox... The plot in 60 seconds. Ooh, I always forget when it's my turn. I even warned you this time. You did, but as if I would remember that. It's true. I said that minutes ago. <laughs> A full movie ago. Anyway, your time starts now. Hmm, Moana is the daughter of a chief of a, I'm going to say, Pacific Islander culture. Uh, who is being raised to assume her place as a... Uh, responsible community leader, uh, and yet, for some reason, she is drawn to the ocean. Probably because it gave her a magic trinket of destiny when she was a wee babby. Uh, however, her people are forbidden from uh, venturing out into the deeper waters beyond the island because it's really fucking dangerous out there. Because a long time ago, uh, a demigod called Maui stole the heart from a creator god whose name I struggle with every time I try and remember it, so, uh, yeah, yeah, your mother goddess figure. Uh, uh, good god, ah, there's a lot going on here, fuck me! <laughs> and I'm trying to describe it without saying anything stupid white people would say. <laughs> and then we just turn the timer off. <laughs> and you can finish as you see fit. Shut up, shut up, shut up, I can do it! I can't do it. <laughs> Tefiti, uh, by the way. Tefiti, thank you. Uh, a creator god, uh, Tefiti, who is uh, uh, very cross and has forsaken the world and everything's cursed and there is a slowly spreading rot which is going to destroy this paradise island. But nevertheless, uh, her father in particular is clinging to keeping his people where they are, where they can be safe, even though they will not remain safe and she knows in her heart something needs to be done about this. Uh, her grandmother is her ally, who uh, reveals to her the secret that her people used to voyage the vast seas in search of new lands before all this cursy shit happened, and that the secret trinket of destiny she got when she was a baby means that she can go and find Maui and kick his ass and make him restore this and save everyone. Uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not going to give away the ending. <laughs> I mean, that's literally the point, but yeah. <laughs> Talon? It's not the plot summary, it's the journey. Are you going to say that the real uh, aspect of creation was the friends we made along the way? Oh, the real aspect of creation was the pretty green shiny stone. <laughs> Pay attention, Tally. <laughs> Have you not been here? Man, come on. The shiny shit, that's what's important. Now, prior experience. Uh, I didn't see this in a theatre. Um, but I did catch it a few years ago, and I'm glad I did. I think I watched it again, like, two days later, because it's <laughs> very good. Yeah. This one was late 2016. I remember reading about the pitch for this, actually, uh, which was, I think, like, it was being talked about the same time that Tangled was still in production? Possibly. Like, I remember hearing about quite a few years before it actually came out, and I was really excited for it. Though, of course, what they were showing me for it was 2D art at the time. And mm, I was still a little bummed out when the 3D shots came out. And, like, Moana... Look, 
they're doing better with diversity than they ever have. But Moana still has a lot of facial expressions in common with Elsa, and that kind of makes me sad. She she looked more distinctive before she got dragged into the new Disney princess face style. Uh, even within the realms of let's make one who's not a skinny white girl. <clears throat> but setting that aside, still a great movie. Still, still highly recommend. Uh, I can't say my impression of anything has changed since last time because it's only been a few years, really. Early 2017, I bought the soundtrack for this. <laughs> it does have an excellent soundtrack. And that's just a really odd little thing because I don't do a lot of buying of digital music, but I have an, mm. I have an iTunes account and I did bother to spend money in 2017 buying the soundtrack for this and listened to it a lot on loop when I was doing my honors thesis. Ah, so this was your uh, Beats to Study by. Yeah, kind of, yeah. That's kind of sick. The double take style stuff, um, Sideways did a long form video about the music in Moana that just illuminated things that I hadn't even considered, like just the points <laughs> where lines and transitions and cuts are used with the music like the editing and the music working together that I would not have expected. I would not expect myself to ever have perceived that watching the movie on my own. I, I did need an expert to provide that illumination. Wow. That would really be undermined if you got all this, this weird like lag and slowdown if you're watching it over a shit connection and the music arbitrarily sped up and slowed down to try and keep it in sync. Mm, that is a little strange, isn't it? I want my TV back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I I mean, part of why this is so good is the music is really just exciting in a way that, that the Disney music hasn't been for a while. Like, I know everyone loved Let It Go. Yeah, whatever. It's unimpeachable. But I, I think I said at the time that aside from that, the music in Frozen and the music in Tangled were just kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, they're doing what they're doing. Name a song from Big Hero 6. There are songs in Big Hero 6? Well, I mean, it didn't have musical numbers. It just had a pop soundtrack, right? Yeah, but yeah. the point is that these things come and go. <laughs> well, even the ones where they were musicals, though, I thought have been a bit bland. I've heard someone describe it as being uh, Sondheim stylistically, and I don't know about that because I'm not that much of a theatre kid. But I do know that it sounds distinctly different to the Disney Renaissance musical stuff that I fell in love with. Like... I can't articulate that difference because I'm not an expert in uh, the styles that we're talking about. But it sure as shit felt different. Um, this, on the other hand, sounds like it was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Why is that? Because it was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, how about that? But that's going all the way over to the animation and making department, <laughs> Fox. And we have a structure, don't we? Oh, right. We, before we can get to the land of animation and making, we have to travel through the dark realms beyond the ice door. Yeah. And so we open it. And first up, a yikes for us. Hmm? I'm going to be pronouncing a lot of names here oh. that are from cultures that are removed enough from my own that I'm not familiar with them. And I am almost certainly going to pronounce something incorrectly or at the very least rudely. I apologize. This is my problem. There's no solution. I can just get better with practice. This is fair. I feel like the pronunciation varied a little bit within the movie as well. Though, I mean, part of that is probably because this is a, uh, I want to say, Polynesian-American actress in the lead role. And she's then surrounded by what sounds like a bunch of Maori folk, based on the accents. 
One, well, while we're here in the Yikes door, um, as a couple of white people from an adjacent culture, like Australia, Australia lives in this little pocket of Asia and <laughs> Polynesian Pacifica that nonetheless stands around and goes, no, no, we're not like anyone nearby. We're, we're British. We're basically British. Yeah. And we're, we're like a feral groove of Europeans in the middle of all this stuff that actually belongs here. And so by any sensible recognition, we would be willing to say, no, we're an Asian country. And also we're a Polynesian country because we are part of and connected to this whole space. We are we're definitely the- a Pacific Island as it were. Yeah. We are on the edge of it, but we are not part of it. And we have done so much to erect borders and boundaries with our cultures to effectively act as if we are quarantined from all of these places (laughs) around us despite the fact that we are routinely just surrounded by a culture that we have done our best to exterminate we keep our uh we we keep telling ourselves that our closest relationships are with like the uk and america and shit and yet the the nearest significant cultures that we fucking go on holiday to and stuff are like fiji and Tonga. And I, yeah, I can't think of anyone I know who does not know someone who's been to Bali. Everyone's been to Bali. Uh, not me, but... But but we both know people who've gone to Bali. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. The... It, yeah, so I, that's that's what I... So, like, you needed to remind me that Maui is not necessarily involved with, like, uh, uh, Maori and, and Tongan culture and whatnot. Because, of course, that's, what, that's where my brain goes yeah, exactly. when I see this movie. And those all have shared common influences, and they're definitely connected to one another. But we, from the outside, see all those connections pulled together like a spotlight, as opposed to being able to appreciate the ways that they are different and the way that they fold outward. Yeah. Because of this, when it comes to the Yikes Door stuff, I'm going to say, why the fuck would you ask us? But (laughs) I would then go on to say, and this is an actual honest-to-God reading suggestion, Check out, and this is easily the top hit on Google, how the story of Moana and Maui holds up against cultural truths by Douglas Herman of the Smithsonian. Herman is a PhD in Polynesian history. He has written length about the colonization of the Pacific, not the white people colonizing it, but the actual first people to colonize the Pacific Ocean, which is, it's bigger than the moon. (laughs) <laughs> and they did it with what we would consider Stone Age technology. And it's a long article, but not like not savagely long, not like sit down and skip your lunch kind of thing. But it is a, 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 a brisk read. It doesn't go super in-depth on any of the topics. Like it doesn't need to give you citations on things. But it's a general reader and it covers things that from his perspective and the perspective of other academics and other representatives in the field of things in this movie that white people will congratulate themselves on getting right that nonetheless don't feel right to him and to them. As an example, um, the Kakamora, the absolutely adorable, rad little coconut Ewok people. They are pretty much Ewok coconuts, it's true. Yeah, they're great. I like them a lot. They're really creative. Kakamora is a name for an actual ethnic group from Hawaii. Ooh, yikes. And they're known for being short. And, like, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't appreciate that. Indeed, if you search for Kakamora, you're not going to find them on the first five pages because you they're... You find cartoon coconut people instead? Yeah, Disney has effectively been able to say, hey, we own the top of, D- of Google. 
Similarly, like that. there's a conversation about the coconut itself, like just the way the coconut is referred to in this movie. That's a very white person tiki bar vision of how Polynesian people behaved. It's a good article. I think it was good. I am obviously not an expert and I'm not sitting here saying all the people who consulted on this movie are dreadful and they did the wrong thing, but it provides that extra illuminating layer. Well, every time, like, Disney very often consults with a lot of people over these movies and that does not mean that the consultant's advice necessarily shapes the movie yeah. to the degree that they would prefer it to. So, uh, like, whatever did go wrong with this, I'm sure shit not blaming it on anyone whose job was a cultural consultant. Yeah. And the biggest complaint in the article, which is all lines up with something you and I would have said ourselves, I'm sure, is Disney should not be the people who get to define the way the culture looks to everyone. And now Moana is the way Maori, Samoan, Tongan, Polynesian, and a whole bunch of other countries that I can't even bring to mind right now look in the mind's eye of the general consumer and even to themselves. And that sucks. Because Disney are an empire and fuck empires. Yeah. I, you know what's all this? For bunch of other movies got made about this kind of stuff. Mm. Like, maybe if this wasn't the only kids movie to even remotely get close to this bullshit. Yeah. Ah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a rough lift because on one hand, like, Disney is doing way better at this, uh, at this point than they have in the past. Yeah. I mean, even, I, I defended Pocahontas to some degree because I felt they were trying yeah. To go in the right direction, even though they were woefully inadequate. Uh, but that just, I mean, that just leads to a place where, you know, well, this is, this is the thing for that culture now. Here is its big Disney moment. Yeah, and all of these different cultures across... That culture. These cultures, yeah. Yeah. The, the Pacific Circle is the largest single area on Earth that we consider to have a culture. Like, the Polynesian Pacific Island range of people stretches onto mainland territories, even, with relationships to northern parts of Japan. And all of this giant arc of people that surround this enormous area gets one movie. And we've had three Disney movies that... I know you're going to disagree. They're in Denmark. Like, they're not in Denmark, Denmark, but they're from, they're from Denmark. They're, they're in Eurofantasia, which is sure. the, the, you know, amalgamation of the whitest parts of white culture. Like, we've only had one specifically French one, I guess, that actually calls out France. Uh, at least two, because we have both Hunchback and Beauty and the Beast. You're right. I admit, I forgot about Hunchback. <gasps> There's a clue in the name, Talon. I know, but you, you see my point. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, um, and, you know, compared to the number that you can place fairly definitively somewhere in America just as a default. I did try and do some general critical reception stuff that I decided not to include in my notes at the end because, quite frankly, it's not critical reception the way that you would normally see like, these people aren't being paid for their opinions. Someone went out and said, hey, people of Hawaii, what do you think ah, of this? I see. And, like, also, like, this is a bunch of people. This is just people telling you how they feel, and you should listen to that. Uh, one thing I found in this is that it's very common for people to be a little unhappy with Maui 
and how Maui is depicted because Maui is a trickster in a lot of different Polynesian cultures. And that makes him slender and sneaky and, and kind of lithe and clever. Whereas the version of Maui we got in the movie is instead a little more closely resembling specifically The Rock's dad. Uh, specifically Samoan, right? Yes. Yeah. And even just there, you've got this one literary figure who is known across, again, a space that's larger than the moon. And it's been, in this case, simplified down to one particular group's version of it, which isn't to say that version is bad, but it means that there's a lot of people who are going to look at it and have a, uh, a negative reaction. Now, part of this is also that in this audience feedback thing, there are a bunch of people from Hawaii saying, eh, Lilo and Stitch was better. And like, obviously I'm going to be like, yes, yes, <laughs> my beloved little troll monster. But like, it's still an interesting thing as far as considering that we, the outsiders, don't get to sit here and go, look at that. We did a good job making that movie and exalting it in the culture that, you know, has fixed the problems. And it hasn't. Um, nice job, Disney. You did pretty decent. Now do a lot better a lot more times. I mean, part of the problem is that you are going to have to pick a version of that, that uh, culturally owned uh, character. Yeah. And... You can't please everyone. It, it is it is embarrassing how microscopically represented that fictional character is in any media pre-Moana that got to me. And then yeah. equally embarrassing is seeing how many people then brought him up. I still have... Uh, there's no word for it. Cringe. I cringe myself inside out when I remember finding that shortly after Moana launched, someone was selling a supplement on the DMs Guild for a D&D epic monster version of Maui. Ooh. And it it just doesn't work. Yeah. The, the, the language for the types of things he does mm. are completely unrelated. You, you might as well be trying to stat up Bellerophon or, or something like that. And don't get me wrong, they absolutely would. But the point is that the stories aren't like that. They don't work the same way. They don't follow the same rules. So it, it instead has this really kind of embarrassing oh you didn't even realize how dumb that was to try no. by way of demonstrating that like how do you i don't know about you i had never seen a depiction of maui in in uh let's say modern fiction yeah no like a depiction that was presented as, as fiction rather than as religion or mythology or folklore or whatever i had seen artwork that I have since been illuminated to understand was Maui. And that's, I live on a coastal city in Australia and I have seen artwork people painted on on um, locations or whatnot and cultural centers. Okay, and now the follow-up question. Have you seen a logo for an 80s surf brand with neon lines in it called Maui? Yes! <laughs> yeah. 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 I've seen a wrestler called the Maui Mola. Ooh. <laughs> oh, was he at least Polynesian? I don't know. Not oh. even vaguely aware. Here, just moving on away from that at speed. Yeah, okay. Now, a little sousson of, of its time, aside from <laughs> the uh, yikesiness of the whole of air, um, tweeting. Yeah, yeah. He, he made a joke about tweeting. Sure did. It's just a bit weird, isn't it? 
There was, oh god, there was something, no, never mind. I can't remember what it was, so that's just going to be me going, oh, no. Um, I mean, the, weirdly, this movie is very of its time, like the combination of, of your big celeb cast being The Rock and your writer being Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a thing that describes 2016 Disney just... When when else could that have happened, man? <laughs> yeah, it's like the peanut allergy in Meet the Robinsons. Like, there is, you couldn't put that earlier, you couldn't put that later. It wouldn't work. Really, it's... I, I have to... I don't have to applaud. I have to be impressed with Disney's timing. Because normally they don't get on that shit nearly fast enough. Uh-huh. But, but they had Miranda when he was hot. Yep. Before, you know, the Hatsune Miko binder crowd kind of got involved and no one wanted to talk about him. <laughs> I'm just trying desperately not to hear how you pronounce Damn it, he warned me about pronunciation. I didn't realize he was going to use that power so recklessly. Now... There you go. There's our there's our white guilt about oh well we don't know enough about the culture to you know we have shed ourselves we have whipped ourselves about the shoulders. Shall we move on to talk about the animation and making of this movie that we do really like? It rules. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yeah. So I've already talked about the music. Um, I'm so glad they did something fucking different this time. It's so much more just entertaining. Than the last couple of musicals we've had. And directorially, it's oh. your boys. Oh, is is this... Uh, is Musker and Clements Musker again. Musker and Clements again. Oh, no, no, no. See, Mencken and Schwartz are my boys. Yeah, sadly. Your boy now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, these things happen. I did something I don't normally like to do. Because when it comes to these, uh, basically, cultural representations, I... Just, I'm used to not trusting Disney, especially after the <laughs> long run we had uh, through this. Evil Empire. Yeah. and Blackface Crows. The Crows. It's always come back to the Crows, right? I will always have this part of me that's like, yeah, but they did the Crows, right? So you check. You check every time. And I went through the, uh, not just the voice cast, but also I checked, you know, what are the music directors like? And what were the script writers? And I'm kind of embarrassed because, okay, so... The writing of the screenplay was by Pamela Ribon and Jared Bush, and also by a pair of identical twins named Aaron and Jordan Kendall. Sorry, Kendall. Kendall. Uh, Aaron and Jordan Kendall, who are Hawaiian-born. I don't know. And then the thing is, like, also, great big asterisk here, I'm not checking anyone's papers. Right. Oh, Christ, no. But I'm just... We have your nationality. What about your ancestry? Yes. How? What kind of blood do you have? What? Nope. We out. But nonetheless, I got really freaking surprised with the voice cast. Not just because, oh, hey, that person, this character is voiced by someone in a related culture, but also, oh, that actor is from that related culture? <laughs> I mean, notwithstanding the intense mixing of accents oh but like i said there's a lot of new zealandy accents in this oh yeah hold on buckle up we're <laughs> gonna have some fun here noticeably not our main character because still disney yeah but... uh she's voiced by ali krabaho is... sorry we're doing our best that apostrophe makes me feel like i'm doing something wrong i have learned swahili at one point in my life and i still feel uncomfortable with this i mean uh, so you have moana's voice actress she also got to do 
the voice for Moana in the Hawaiian language version of the movie. Yeah. And there is a Hawaiian language version of the movie, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Dwayne Johnson as um, as Maui. That's cool. Uh, Rachel Jessica Teo Marama House as Tala, who normally gets credited as Rachel House. Who's Tala? Is that a mom? That's, or? Two, that's uh, the grandma. That's grandma. Okay. Yep. Um, and... She reprised the same role in the Maori language version of this, which made me go, oh, there's a Hawaiian language version and a Maori language version. <laughs> nice. It's, I'm glad that they went there. I doubt they bothered to for uh, for most of their movies, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temuera Morrison is dad, uh, Tui, and also you might recognize that name. That's Boba Fett. Ah, yeah, right. That's 1970s voiceover Boba Fett and 1990s, early thousands movie appearance Boba Fett and now Mandalorian Boba Fett. So go him. I did not know that was the same actor across the board. Uh Uh-huh. Morrison then also reprised his role in the Maori language version of the movie. That's cool. Now, Jermaine Clements as Tamatoa, half of the Flight of the Concords. Very professionally funny New Zealand singsman. And I thought, yeah, all right, fine. They get a white guy for this role. Uh, so shut my fucking face. Because Jermaine Clements is Nagati uh, Kahunguni, which is a group, and is a direct descendant of the Rangatira Irahi Tewahiti, which is to say he's descended from an important like, historical figure yeah. from New Zealand. And I just went, well, he's a white guy, right? So fuck me. <laughs> Look, you weren't saying it because you thought there was anything wrong with his performance. You were saying it because you've met Disney before. He also provides the voice for Tamatoa in the Maori language version of the movie. <laughs> I, oh God, I'm just realizing that all the, all the non-star actors are Maori because New Zealand gutted its film industry <laughs> personnel rights for Lord of the Rings. Possibly, yeah. And fucking bet Disney got their shit. Oh, no! It's all coming together. All right, now here's here's a fun one. <clears throat> Nicole Prascovia Elecolani Valiente as Sina, Moana's mother, Tui's wife, and the chiefess of the Motunui. You might know her, well, you definitely wouldn't know her. Probably not. As Nicole Scherz- uh sorry, as Nicole Scherzinger, but you might know her as the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls. They are they not British? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they just have that air of a British mass production pop group, don't I they? I just yeah, absolutely. I thought for sure they were. Uh, but I had to double check my room and be like, "Am I thinking of Pussy Riot?" No, no, they're definitely the other ones. Yep. <sighs> yeah. Uh, um. Huh. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, there you go. <laughs> I love this so much. I like her better in this. Uh, Alan Tudyk is Hey Hey. Uh, Oscar Kitely as a fisherman. Uh, he's a Samoan actor. And Troy Polomalu as the villager number one who just offhandedly mentions something. And that guy is a footballer. Hey. Uh, and also Samoan. And villager number two, the, the lady villager around the village, um, is uh, Ponani Corvalho, which is Alehi's mother. Which is nice! Cool. Uh, do we have any stats on the chorus? I'm curious about. That is a group called Tevaka. Oh, nice! Who are a... Oh god, I hope I've got this note right. Fijian. 
choir. Sorry, we're doing our best. And and this is all research figures on my part. This is not me going, oh no, Fiji and Samoa are basically the same place. Like I, no, if, no, We know they're different. If I'm wrong there, it's because I wrote the wrong thing down. And you should, like, you know, I'm reading off Wikipedia. You could probably go find this for yourself. <laughs> uh, which is headed up by the person who got credited in the music, along with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Mark Mancina as Opatai Fuai. And... Sorry, we're doing our best. <laughs> and Mark Mancina is like Hans Zimmer's like left-hand man. Ah. So yeah. Uh that's and that I I was genuinely impressed. And I know it feels so very nitpicky to go like, well, is this actor from an, <laughs> like is what about it's, this one? What about this one? Look, but just because I was fully expecting, okay, we have the lead and we have maybe their mum, and everyone else is non-union from New Zealand. <laughs> like, unavoidably comparing Pocahontas again. Like yeah. we had like four or five uh, uh Native American voice actors for the major roles and other people were being filled up. Hell, they tried to cast Robin Williams in place of Russell Means before they got him. <laughs> which shows you how much of a fuck they actually gave about that. Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks. Straight and, up. like, don't get me wrong, this... It, it would be great to see a lot more uh, diverse names elsewhere in the production, too. Like, the writing and the direction and all that kind of shit. Yeah. But, like, the bare minimum is just to not have a fucking white cast doing this. So, like, well done, Disney. You checked the box that you should have checked 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And they did make a big, proper foundation of, hey, we built a consultancy group and we hired it and we paid it and there are people who we did get from the affected cultures to commentate on this. And the fact that there is argument and conversation there is good, it's so much better and healthier than what we've had in the past. And thus we come back to a recurring theme, which is good job, Disney, now do it again, but better. Because you can, you're the global empire. You don't yeah. really have an excuse for this. Somebody has got to put forth the hard work to actually start equalizing these things. And I choose the people with the most money. Now, that's all the names and faces we have in, sorry, that's all a bunch of names from the making. Um, hey, Fox, how did you think they did? <laughs> uh, I mean, everything in this is pretty great. I Let's see. I have the same criticism of Moana that I have of a lot of characters in the past. I don't think she has as full a range of expressions as she deserves, especially compared to Maui, who gets to be such a big, rubbery oh, yeah. personality. Just He's so full of expression, and the... The depiction of him, I think, is really fucking artful in that he... Fe <sighs> they may not have, have made him like a, a life little guy kind of only surviving by my wits kind of trickster character here, but they did make him a really good lying all the time, uh, flying by the seat of his pants kind of trickster. And the moments where you see sincerity from him are such a good contrast to what he's doing most of the time. Like, they're both making fucking DreamWorks faces on the poster for this, and Moana isn't that, ever. But Maui is that, except for, like, three scenes where he's just so lovable. Mm -hmm. And when they finally go in for the hug at the end, you're like, oh, look how happy he is, I'm gonna cry. Yeah. 
the overall landscape, like the visual aesthetics of how this movie looks, just beautiful. You know, funnily enough, you can make a lot of locations around the Pacific Islands and the Pacific Ocean look freaking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. It's, it's um, the, 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 the scenery is more realistic than I would prefer in this, but... It's still fucking gorgeous. Like, it's the kind of scenery that exists exactly like this in the real world. But when you see it in the real world, you go, that's too gorgeous to be real. What the fuck is this? Yeah, your brain shorts out. There, there are yeah. all these pictures we have of, like, Fiji and Micronesia where people think that these lakes or these shorelines are <laughs> photoshopped. should not be doctored, surely. Yeah. Nah, that's just how it looks when it's nice. I have one thing on the animation and making which I unfortunately can't verify anymore because it's not mine, my property. I don't have access to it. It's in the university archives where one of the first years I was teaching, 2017, so like one of my first classes, one of my students did a presentation on the animation in Moana and provided a bunch of video interviews with various animators who worked not on Moana directly, but on the software that made Moana possible. <laughs> right. Um, I think I, I turned to you during this movie and I said, it's they're, they're so good at water now, they're good at it in a way that makes you realize they weren't actually that good at it last time when you thought they were really super good at it by now. It is going from seeing conjuring tricks to watching something actually make something teleport. Yes. It yeah. Is just indescribably sophisticated compared to what it was <laughs> and the presentation my student gives so what i would love to be able to do is provide you with just the citations from the presentation my student gave because it was well researched they got a good grade and it also showed me something that i would never have intuitively put together which is the secret to unlocking water as an animation technique in 3d was not the thing that made moana difficult the thing that made Moana difficult was realistic 3D renderings of hair hmm. that was the the particular types of Polynesian hair that they have. Or, right. Um, it's, it's not just as simple as black people hair, but in terms of you would get fired for it in an American workplace, yeah, black people <laughs> hair. No, oh, there's a, there's a chart somewhere which describes these uh, in terms of it's about the curl and the nature of the curl and the thickness of the hair and the surface texture of the hair. And, like, there are a bunch of distinct types. Yes. And one of the things the animator presenting this said that was, like, water comparatively is easy. Because any given piece of water can push or pull on any given piece of water, and all the water element you have is completely fungible. No one looks at water moving in a particular way and says oh, this bit of water should be over there by now. You can't see the bits that make up water. Yeah, water gets in our brains very easily blobbed. Whereas when black hair is moved in these ways, for a start, types of audiences don't notice it, but other types of audiences do. And it's all full of interconnected stresses and resistance points, which means that it was very, very slow to render the way they were doing it first. Then when they developed software to successfully do it, they realized that they had accidentally solved water <laughs> because the spaces between the hair followed effectively the the same rules as water would in any of the shapes they wanted to deform so it to. So it's all sort of strand modeling in one language or another. Yeah. And it was a really good presentation. I wish I'd like 
preserved some of it, but it's not mine to, <laughs> to preserve. Asked if you could have kept a copy. Yeah, and it was really cool to watch. And I, I quite like it as a little narrative about how uh, including more people solves problems you didn't realize you had. Because water, my entire childhood, I've been paying attention to, to 3D animation my entire life because it was brand new when I was very young. And... It has always been one of the things that is just too hard to do well is water. So you make cheats and hacks and lies and mirrored textures and all sorts of other ways to get around having to present water. And then Disney did an entire movie where water isn't just constantly present. It's one of the main characters. I mean, they looped around to making it harder for themselves because they got to the point where they could do a perfectly acceptable version of it in 2D. Because 2D isn't pressured to look realistic. Yeah. You don't need to look like water. You need to look like water feels. And that's good enough. But with the level of fidelity that we have here, it needs to actually look like fucking water. You can't. You can't abstract it away like that. Basically, this movie is great. And once again, good job. Do a better job next time. (laughs) Uh, Since we're talking about hair, I like how much the characters interact with and have an awareness of their own hair in this. Yeah. Don't usually see this in animation because it means you have to, you know, do more model sheets and make more distinct forms for the characters that everyone has to depict correctly. Um, But, I mean, this is... A movie about spending weeks at sea. How could you not deal with that? How could you not deal with crusty salt hair and wet hair and hair that has its own gravity, which changes depending on how much water is in it? And just the need to keep your hair out of your fucking face while you're sailing. It's really interesting. It's... Oh god, I love the sailing in this movie. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this when we dealt with, with water movies in the past, but I had done a little sailing in my time. Um... I, I am not from a well-to-do family, but I am from a water family. <laughs> like, we've always, like, lived next to lakes and stuff. Lagoon people. Uh, and my, my grandfather enjoyed sailing. He passed that on to my dad. I used to sail with my dad when I was younger. Um, and we even had a catamaran in particular. <laughs> They're not as exciting to sail on the lake that we live on. No. <laughs> as they are in this movie, I must say. Especially back when you were a kid. <laughs> but it's still thrilling to see... The origins of the kind of catamaran I was riding, uh, including like the wings and the way that you mm. you balance out on the edge of the thing and use your weight to manipulate the boat and everything, and it's just so cool. It's such a material <laughs> exercise. It is, and not for nothing, I would have had no idea this is where those kind of boats originated. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't, like, right up until I saw this movie, I'm like. Fuck, I guess these are a Pacific Islander type of boat. Makes sense now that I think about it. Oh, and they've been around since fuck forever. Huh, how about that? The the Pacific Islander model of catamaran being made of wood means that there's a, a, an, an, an impermanence to all of them as historical artifacts. But we have records that stretch back potentially as far as a thousand years. Well, I mean, looking at the engineering of it, it makes sense. Like, that's all stuff that you have the technology for very early on. And it works to the to the degree that we kept it until now. I missed a word there. I'll just get this to edit this Cut in. Cut it back in. Um, a thousand years BC. <laughs> you can see why that's an important word to not miss. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's, it is 
It, and, and it's so cool. See, this is the thing. We're just gushing about this movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Um, let's see. All right. All right. We're supposed to be talking about animation and making. Uh, we're getting off track. Um, God, that's not... I mean, it's... It's peerless 3D animation. It's Disney using their money well. You know what I really like? Um... The, the scene with the pirates, who I'm now not going to refer to by the name they're given in the movie, because that seems inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but the lighting in that scene, I think, is handled really masterfully, because it transforms the whole thing into looking less realistic overall. And I think that's down to the lighting, because I don't think they suddenly decided, let's not do realistic textures on any of this stuff or whatever. Uh, it just looks more like a cartoon, and I find that kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I know he's not your favorite character, and I know the sequence is one you don't feel a need to have in the movie at all, but I cannot help but love Tamatoa. No, the, he's fine. He serves a purpose. The things they do with the independent eyes, the way they use his different physicality, the way they make the point that, like, the large parts of a crab are not dangerous because they are sharp, but because they are strong. <laughs> the the bioluminescence yeah, when it goes dark sick. as the exact same character design you were looking at a few seconds ago, but was funny and goofy becomes incredibly threatening. That's um we saw that same energy in uh Dr. Facilier. Yes. In Princess and the Frog. Because it's the same kind of I mean, it, it's not the same culture, but it's the same, like, underworld, hidden evil kind of uh, reflective of something that seems, you know, silly and, and easily dismissed on the surface. Yeah. Uh, and it's used very well. <laughs> yes, indeed. I also found him funnier the second time. Don't know why. Maybe I was just more geared up for his sense of humor this time around. <laughs> He he is responsible for the fourth wall breaks in the movie. <laughs> ah, except there's one Maui does straight to the fucking camera. Yeah, good point. There's that one. <laughs> what is it? Oh, boat snack. That's right. Yeah, there's no one to talk to, Maui. What are you doing? Who are you talking to, Maui? <laughs> Whereas Tamatoa referencing a decapod and then telling you to look it up. Like, don't get me wrong. The language in this movie is very much 2016 <laughs> Americana, but... Telling people to look up what a decapod is, that is definitely a talk to the audience moment. It is, but there's no reason he couldn't have been saying that to his song audience as well. Mm -hmm. Like, he would have every reason to believe that Maui and Moana don't know what a decapod is either. What does look it up mean to them? Well, then we're getting into the question of modern language in a yeah. modern setting, and that's <laughs> nothing that our main characters don't do. What does shark butt mean to them? The butt of a shark. What does my butt cheek mean? The cheek of a butt. We Okay, <laughs> Sorry, we know what it means, but that's not how they would have referred to it, and look it up has the same energy as far as I'm concerned. It's an anachronism, but it's completely par for the course for the way Disney handles language in films that are not set in modern times. Um, I have another note on music. I don't know if it goes here or not. Um, save it for uh, Whateverland. Whateverland. Yeah. I'm already running low on stuff for that, so let's do it. I do have something of a grand thesis, and not so much in the way that... Not, like, in the past, we've had these fun times with the grand thesis where I've been able to go, hey, look, media studies scholar here showing you ways that this movie is inferring into reality and so on and stuff like that. Where 
uh, like, for example, with Wreck-It Ralph, where I insisted that it's about trans women in sports, which, you know, <laughs> funny bit, but yeah, you can still use it as a lens to examine that idea. A lot of the time, there are uh, ideals present in a movie that are not its declared theme, and perhaps not even intended to be there, and it's worthwhile to look for and discuss them. In this movie's case, I feel that whether consciously or unconsciously, what this movie is saying is that growing up and becoming a teenager is not a discovery, it's not a truth that you find, but it is a process of many discoveries. And I think of that particularly in light of how this whole story is the departure and the return in the classic Campbellian sense, but also how that evokes, because I read it earlier this year, with the Tiffany Aching story presented in A Hatful of Sky. Leaving and coming back isn't the same thing as having never left. And there are points in this story where Moana has what would be in a lesser movie, the one revelation that fixes things. But it's more like the slow turning of a wheel where different things change on different levels. And eventually she comes back home and she is changed, but she is not one big change. It is not, now I know who I am, that's it, I, I discovered my destiny. It's rather, there are all these different ways I have learned who I am. Which works well with the eventual uh, Maui abandoning the quest and her needing to shift her focus from, I was chosen to do this job and I did it and it wasn't enough, to... I have to choose to be the person who takes on the job that's there. Yeah. Um, choosing rather than being chosen, I guess. Um, and, you know, damned if you haven't touched upon the thing that I was going to say for the whatever land anyway, <laughs> uh, because I was going to talk about how much I love the song from that moment, uh, which is a perfect musical description of what you just talked about because it weaves together the the song where she conflicts with her dad, the song where she learns about her people's past, and the and her I want song all together and layers them with the the climax of just the statement of I am Moana. Which you couldn't do if it wasn't a musical. You could no, God no, that wouldn't work at all. And yeah, the 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 artistry of that I think is just you couldn't do a better job of expressing exactly what you just put forward as as the key theme going on here. So, uh, good job on your grand thesis. No notes. <laughs> Shall we move on now and sally forth into whatever land? Oh, I used it up. Shit. <laughs> I have a small list. <laughs> okay. I have one, I think. Um, I guess I'll go first then. Uh, this movie's animal sidekicks suck. <laughs> hey, hey, it's so bad compared to Pwow. Pwow yeah. is so cute. I mean, the pig's cute, but he's only there for like five minutes and he's not coming on this road trip. I guess we didn't need him, but we did need the chicken. And I mean, the chicken gets used for comedy relief, but I just don't find him very funny. The joke is mainly he's too stupid to live, so we constantly endanger ourselves to keep him alive. I kind of assumed at some point the bird would fly. That, like, the bird would be carrying the, the gem, because, like, we show it eats rocks, and we know it's a bird, 
And what could it do that the pig couldn't do? Well, birds can fly, so I assumed there would be some point where the bird would fly the thing over, but... Yeah. He was he was just here for comedy relief. He just catched the stone at the end. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's not... That's not a unique moment, I'm gonna say. And it doesn't really make up for the multiple times that he almost gets everyone killed previously. I... Uh, early in the film, uh, Moana pitches his worth as like sometimes our our true talents are hidden very deep within or something like that, and you know she's she's just trying to do you know community leader wisdom for the sake of her people at that moment. So I don't know how sincere she was ever trying to be, but uh, you know it it seems like a drop for later, um, but there is never a payoff to that. It's just a dumb chicken. I think probably they didn't bring the pig because it wouldn't have been funny to joke about eating the pig because he was actually cute. <laughs> there is a long list of stuff that Maui is supposed to have done in Pacific Island of Myth. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh boy, some of it is not making it into a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, well, the very act that this is about, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have him transform into a bug to steal the heart, but, uh... I don't know how well I remember this, but I think he transforms into a bug and goes, approaches the heart from the... Uterus? Reproductive regions. Yeah. Uh, They chose to abstract that into just a nice little spiral that it fits into like a puzzle piece. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Hey, we didn't even talk about how good the ending of this movie is. Do you want to? Uh, I think it's noteworthy uh, from a feminist perspective. Because Disney in this era has been trying to do subversions of the... uh, Subversions of the solve the problem like a man 90s feminism. uh, That they flirted with and were terrible at. Um, And Moana certainly does some action girl shit. But the core of this movie and the reason she succeeds where Maui probably would have failed is a moment of understanding and compassion towards someone who is hurting uh, rather than aggression. Uh, And that's pretty cool. One of the complaints I found while doing the audience feedback thing was that Moana couldn't be a Wayfinder because Wayfinders had to be men. And the person then went on to argue, it's because when it's cloudy at night, you can't see the stars. So what they needed to do was to sit in a special seat in the canoe that would dangle their balls in the water and give them special insights into the way of the waves. I feel like you could have done that with your foot. Well, I would point out that that means that they're saying trans women can be wayfinders so <laughs> jump up my butt but it was it was such a weirdly specific complaint <laughs> like someone has thought about this a lot someone is mad at the 16 year old girl for being a wayfinder because she doesn't have balls <laughs> i think they'll find no one was allowed to be a wayfinder at the point where she learned so you know not really a departure <laughs> now with all of that out of the way we have nothing more to look at but into the baleful, blazing eyes of the living hell that is capitalism. <laughs> what can I say except pay up? 
Mm -hmm. Now, as far as budgets go, we have hit an interesting wall. You might have noticed the past couple of movies, we have had the same budget, 150 mil. Yeah, it's gone to the point where either they have evened out their budgeting so well that they just know how much these movies cost. Or we have gotten to a point where they're going to tell us that they cost that much, no matter what, because that's the total that they want the movie to cost for the sake of taxes, mostly. It's in fact a little more bleak than that. Oh! Disney aren't telling anyone what these movies cost ah, to make. Ah, I see. They don't have to report that they anymore. They just stop telling. We had that information about older periods of Disney, but we have finally crossed a threshold where Disney, the movies aren't recent enough that no one has gone and done the forensic accounting necessary, or Disney have had no reason to talk about the actual budgets. Well, I bet the reason they don't is because of aforementioned tax purposes. Absolutely. Because as I understand it, the way the modern film industry works is that you basically say your film cost as much as you need it to cost for the sake of your profits being reported as what you need them reported as. The closest we have is that a shareholder report mentioned that modern movies take between 150 to 175 million to make. And that was a statement made about Frozen. Yeah. So there is no more gain to, do you think the budget went up? Or do you think the budget mm. went up? Which means Ruin my lost. fun, Disney. Eat shit. Yeah. So I guess we now have to ask instead. So <laughs> the take of the box office. And remember, this is just ticket sales. 2016 through to mid-2017. Because this thing stayed in the theaters a while. <laughs> yeah, this was big. And this was popular. I assume it was not as popular as Zootopia, because once again, Zootopia is a billion dollar movie. Yeah, Zootopia made a billion bucks. And again, the gap between Zootopia and Frozen is like an Aladdin. So I'm going <laughs> to guess this made like a, a much more modest, you know, 750 million. You're really close. 645. Oh yeah, I'll take that. Now... The critical reception was, oh wow, this movie's adorable and charming and fun. And oh, the plot's a little limp in the third act, but who cares? It's really great. Are the you kidding? The third act is where it's really good. Yeah. The first act is where it's like, mm, there's a weird pacing going on here. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. And then you cry for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and of course, lots of praise for the music which also was renewed when Hamilton did all the things it did. Of course. So, you know, it's... There's a lot of praise for this movie on a very deep, primal level. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? But... It's fun to know the soundtrack sales numbers. <laughs> $645 million may seem like a sharp step down from $1 billion. But the thing is, Moana led to the opening of multiple resorts. Uh-oh! So... This movie could have made much less, and it still probably would make more money for Disney in absolute terms than Zootopia. Which is one of the other little cynical dark things about this. This was a branding exercise, not just for Disney going, hey, let's make a Polynesian movie this time, but what money can we make out of this? <laughs> I mean, when have Disney's racially diverse films ever not been? a grab for them dollars that they have not explored adequately. Like Princess and the Frog exists because they wanted a Disney princess branded character to put in a new, new Orleans themed area. Yeah. Of, of a Disney park. It's Milan exists because they wanted Chinese dollars. Oh, hell yes. I do feel that there is probably some dark story about the hiring practices at Disneyland 
having to try and come up with a reason for why they couldn't hire more black people. Like, we don't have enough black princesses. Like, okay, we need to fix that. Okay, so, because like the nature of the Disney machinery is such that if there's one problem in one area, they will just turn the world until that problem goes away. Well, I mean, they did. Yeah. They made another, like, Princess and the Frog, we talked about its earnings, but the main goal was to get Tiana into the princess crew so they would have a black princess to market with the Disney princesses. Like, that Uh was the goal here. And they've had a lot of trouble getting their racially diverse characters into the princess brand. Like, they they got Jasmine in there. She works. She's a very princessy kind of princess. Not... Exactly an authentic cultural uh, mm. uh, inclusion, but like uh, they they tried to get Milan and fucking Pocahontas in there to play that game, and they just they they've never fit. They don't work in that. Oeuvre. I was gonna say sleepover, but then it sounds like I'm talking about Ralph too. <laughs> this is before any of that. But oh, we'll get yeah, there. They they are remarkably out of place. When they try and, and, you know, go have a tea party with the other princesses. And, you know, Moana is, is definitely more on their team than, than on the uh, the Belle and Ariel and Jasmine team. I mean, they even bother having her mention that she's not a princess. And then they make fun of princesses doing Disney songs and having animal sidekicks. So, ugh. I hate that they keep doing that. Like, fucking, don't be fucking cowards. You are merchandising the shit. The shit out of the Disney princess brand at this point. Don't you pretend that you don't like that. Don't you give me that shit. Just embrace it. Let's big talk. That's 2016. Both of its movies being absolute bangers. And then Disney lay fallow for all of 2017 until their next installment in the Disney animated canon. Oh, right. This, our last two were both in the same year. That's so wild. Zootopia being a double bill was something else. Christ. You know, there's a six month gap between them. Seven? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, under other circumstances, they might have spaced these out so they had one in each year, but... But this... that means we now have to wait to see 2018's... Sorry. Yeah, that means that the next movie in the list is 2018's Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, boy. Well, we love Rocket Ralph so much the first time. How can we not enjoy that? See you next time, gamers!
so, so you brought to my attention something I didn't realize until you brought it up, and I didn't want to bring it up in this because it felt like I was centering your point on me. Yeah. But this is also funny. So you you know how I said that I got the soundtrack and listened to it while I was doing my honors thesis. Because oh, yeah. yeah. the honors thesis is um it, it's it's a book. And mm-hmm. my honors thesis is I think twenty five thousand words. It's not not a big thing by the scale of these things, but certainly it's a big chunk of a thoroughly researched effort. And I was listening to the Moana soundtrack on repeat. And because you know, you know the kind of person I am. You know how I listen to music when yeah. I'm concentrating. Oh yeah. I've heard that um Oh fuck! Brighter than gold? No, no the the one that's fucking Kylo Ren having a wine. Oh yeah, I've heard that through your headphones so many times in the last couple of days. It's called Rilo Ken. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so, so you know the kind of thing I do, and like when I when I was studying for my exams in one year, it was it was um, Brighter Than Gold by Cat Empire, just over on a loop. Thing is, um. I used the entire Moana soundtrack, mm-hmm. including the instrumental tracks, because that way mm. the soundscape was reasonably consistent and it was on shuffle. And that way I still had some sound. I had it constantly going and I knew I liked the way it felt and I knew I liked the way it, it, it inspired me, but I didn't have to feel like I was going to have to select the next track or anything like that. And the fact that those three tracks weave together in that fourth track yeah. fucks me up on singing along. <laughs> All the time. I'm constantly in, like sitting there writing away and as my head's going like, no, wait, no, it doesn't go that way. This, this is this is a different song. What are you thinking? You fool, you ninny, you buffoon. Well, they're hard to sing. Like this is part of the, the Miranda-ness uh, in that like they're they're hard to get your, your grip on. I feel like there's a whole generation of theater kids. We talked about how important Let It Go was. I think that the real belters probably got more <laughs> use out of moana oh she gets a full-on i want song yeah it's it's good shit but like i mean less for for that song and more in the others there is um i mean you're welcome just completely goes there but there's uh like a hip-hop cadence to some degree in most of them like there's there's sort of spoken word parts where it's more about flow mm-hmm. than melody in all of these songs shiny has a point where the whole point is oh, that Tamatoa God, yeah is, shiny yeah Tamatoa runs out of lyrics at one point and that starts repeating himself he just says i'm so shiny so shiny uh as the next line which is meant to be like a, that's meant to be the rap moment of like aha you fool you you have failed in this rap battle and now the tide has turned and that's when moana brings up the the glowy thing Basically, you made me realize something about the music that I have listened to literally for hours. <laughs> I was wondering whether or not I'd gotten that from the sideways. I was pretty sure it, it had just, you know, something that I recognized myself on this viewing. But he definitely could have spoken about it and I just internalized it. I think they're still listening to us. Oh, shit. Shut it down. <laughs>